0: Good morning. Whether you're joining us over the live stream or here in person, welcome to Rockin' First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I am the Riddler otherwise known as Chris Jimerson, one of the co-ministers here at the church, and your worship leader this morning. And I have with me Luke Skywalker, also known as Wayne Bachman, as our lay leader. I especially want to welcome our visitors this morning. If you're here with us online, please say hello in the comments and let us know from where you're watching the service. You can also go to austinuu.org, click on worship, and you'll see a link to an online form for visitors that we'd love for you to fill out so we can learn a little more about you. If you're here in person and visiting, please fill out one of these visitor cards. You can find it in the pew backs or at the welcoming table out in the foyer where the nice people there will answer any questions you might have about the church. I am also happy to answer questions after the service. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. And it's in that tradition that I invite those of you online to greet the holy among us by saying hello in the comments and those here in person to turn to those around you. Please join with me in
1: saying the words that we use to light the chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation.
0: This congregation has a set of religious values. They are transcendence, compassion, courage, community, and transformation. And out of those values arose our mission. It's our common purpose. It guides our mission and ministries. We say it together every Sunday. Let's do so now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the Beloved Community. Each week, we have a moment for Beloved Community to more deeply explore what we mean by that term. This week, I want to let you know about a local, independently black-owned bookstore called BlackPearlBookstore.com. Hopefully, we'll have a slide up here, yes, that uh, tells you about some of their values, which include diversity, inclusion, multiculturalism, multigenerationalism. One of the things that I read about them that made me so impressed is that they are offering books that school districts in Texas have been banning. For people. They're not only doing that for books that are supposedly critical race theory books, although any book that tells the truth about racism gets called critical race theory these days, even when it's not, but they're also including banned books around other areas such as LGBTQI rights and the like, and they're bringing books to young readers to make sure that they learn reading. If you want to know more about them, go to blackpearlbookstore.com. They're right up here on North Burnett. Let's support businesses in our community that are supporting the beloved community.
2: I'm Kelly Stokes, the director of Lifespan Religious Education, and I am here to share the story for all ages. And I'd like to invite anyone who wants to come up, especially the kids, to come up and join me up here, and you can see the pictures up close. So today's story is The Little Ghost Who is a Quilt, written by Real Nason, illustrated by Byron Eggenschweiler. Once, there was a little ghost who was a quilt. Have you ever heard of that before? Me neither. He didn't know why he was a quilt. His mom and dad and all his friends were sheets. They were light as air. They flew high and fast and twirled and whirled in the sky. They could even ride on a gust of wind and then whoosh back to the ground like they were going down an invisible slide. The little ghost who was a quilt was heavy because of his layers of fabric. It was hard for him to lift off, and he was a slow flyer. He got hot and sweaty when he tried to go faster. The only time he attempted to twirl and whirl, it didn't end well. One day, he and his friends were at the park when they heard someone coming. His friends zoomed away because ghosts are terrified of people. But the little ghost couldn't escape quickly enough. He flopped over a bench. A family came along, and a little boy who was eating an ice cream cone sat down beside him. The little ghost had never been so close to a human before, and he felt fear, in every fiber of his fabric. The boy only stayed a few minutes, but he dropped a big blob of melted ice cream right on the little ghost's face. Blech. Later, when some other ghosts saw him, they laughed at the stain on his forehead. The little ghost was embarrassed and also very sticky. The little ghost didn't like being different. His mom told him he had an ancestor who was a checkered tablecloth. This is very small. I don't know if, can you see that? And his great-grandmother was an elegant lace curtain. Everyone said she was the most beautiful ghost they'd ever seen. Even knowing that, the little ghost didn't feel any better. He wished he was just one fabric and not a whole bunch of squares sewn together. The other ghosts called him Scrappy. And he didn't like that. But there was one day that always cheered him up. What was it? Does that cheer you up too? It also cheers me up. People seemed excited about ghosts on Halloween, and sometimes children dressed as them to trick or treat. Every year, the ghosts went to watch the festivities. They stayed silent and still in the trees and pretended to be decorations, far away from any humans. Too heavy to hover up in the trees, the little ghost, who was a quilt, usually draped himself over a clothesline. He never had a very good view. This year, he had a better plan. He remembered how close he had been to the boy at the park. So he decided he would be brave and fold himself over a chair on a porch, right in the center of the action Sounds scary for a ghost who's afraid of people, doesn't it? Halloween night came, and the little ghost flew as fast as he could. But he was only halfway across the lawn when he heard people coming. At the last possible second, he flopped over the porch rail. A mom walked up the driveway with a little girl dressed as a ballerina. While the girl trick-or-treated, the mother asked the man at the door something. The next thing the little ghost knew, the mom had picked him up. He was so scared he thought his seams might come unstitched. <laughs> the mom wrapped the little ghost around the girl and put them both in a wagon. The girl had been cold, and now the little ghost was keeping her warm. He could hardly believe what was happening. They headed down the street past his friends in their tree. No! "'Don't go,' one whispered. "'What are you doing?' The little ghost decided to fly away as soon as the girl got out of the wagon to trick-or-treat again. But the mom didn't turn into the next yard, or the one after that. By the time she finally walked up to a house, the little ghost was panicking. How would he get away?' The mother parked the wagon and carried the girl and the little ghost into the house. The little ghost didn't know what to do. He reminded himself to stay calm and be brave. The little ghost peeked around the room. There were Halloween decorations everywhere. He even saw a branch trimmed with lollipop ghosts. They looked like his friends in the tree. The little girl tucked Ghost to with a quilt under her legs as she shorted, sorted her candy into piles. He felt surprisingly cozy. Maybe things would turn out okay after all. The girl ate a chocolate bar, and when she wiped her sticky fingers on the little ghost, he didn't even mind. After the little girl was asleep upstairs, her mom gently folded the little ghost to his quilt. She smiled and admired his fabrics and traced her finger along a line of stitching. It tickled. Can you see his face right here? Can you see that? She set the little ghost on the couch and went upstairs too. When she was gone, he flew into the fireplace and out the chimney. His smile was three squares wide. The little ghost's friends cheered and rushed over to him. They were amazed by his courage and wanted to hear every detail of his adventure. They flew slowly along with him all the way home. Are they making fun of him now? The little ghost was so happy that he felt like he was floating without even trying. Everything that had happened was because he was a little bit different. Everything had happened because he was... Was a quilt.
0: Now is the time in our service where we center ourselves together. We breathe together. And breathing together, we follow our breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater wisdom, a place where our courage rises up and we know our truest, most authentic self. That place where a spark of the divine resides within each of us, the river of love that flows through our universe channels itself through us. Breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence together, remembering that the sounds of small children and other human sounds are a part of the silence in this congregation. Breathing in, breathing out, we now enter into that time of silence together. I invite you now to light candles, candles representing sorrows, joys, remembrances, hopes. Those of you with us online may light a candle, virtual or real, where you are. Those here in the sanctuary are invited to light a candle in
2: either of our candle windows.
1: Today is from Brene Brown from Daring Greatly How the Courage to Be Vulnerable Transforms the Way We Live, Love, Parent, and Lead. The word persona is the Greek term for stage mask. In my work, masks and armor are perfect metaphors for how we protect ourselves from the discomfort of vulnerability. Masks make us feel safer, even when they become suffocating. Armor makes us feel stronger even when we grow weary from dragging it around. The irony is that when we're standing across from someone who is hidden or shielded by mask or armor, we feel frustrated and disconnected. That's the paradox here. Vulnerability is the last thing I want you to see in me, but the first thing I look for in you.
0: Happy Sunday before Halloween. We're here, many of us in our costumes, as we join in this intergenerational service to be followed by a fun Halloween festival and connections fair immediately afterwards. I spent a little too much time this morning trying to determine if I have a stole that wouldn't clash with my lime green Riddler's outfit. I finally gave up and just went for garish. Halloween has its roots in several traditions, some of them going back thousands of years, including, including the practice I want to talk about today, donning costumes and wearing masks, identity-altering masks, not the safety masks we've gotten used to wearing. It's interesting, isn't it? Whether we are a child, a youth, or an adult of almost any age, when we put on our masks and our costumes, we often assume at least some of the persona our get-ups are intended to portray. I'll come back to this a little more later, but for now it's worth noting that we may be so good at doing this explicitly on Halloween because we get lots of practice doing it implicitly, in our daily lives. Metaphorically, we put on masks. We wear the costume of of an assumed persona and far too often we do that to protect ourselves against dangers. Dangers that are often all too real. When I was growing up, my mom had a friend she had known since her school days named Verna. She would take me with her when she went to visit Verna Verna lived in this little house in our small southeast Texas town with another woman named Billy Joe. Verna was smart and funny and would give my mom all sorts of great practical advice about life, love, and relationships. Billy Joe was a little gruff and very quiet, but nice. She wore her hair very short and flattened and used to work on my mom's car for her. Billy was a lesbian and Verna was bisexual. And though I likely didn't know those terms back then, even at that young age, I somehow knew that they were more than they were pretending to be. They weren't just friends and roommates who hadn't yet found men. Well, around the house, Verna wore jeans and a t-shirt or sweatshirt. Billy Joe's preference was flannel and cargo pants. Neither wore makeup. But when they went out somewhere together, they would make up their faces. Billy Joe would try to fancy up her hair, and they would both dress in what was considered more feminine outfits. Those masks, those costumes were necessary for them to avoid potential harm in that little southeast Texas town. And so many of us have done this worn masks, dressed up in a persona other than our true selves in order to keep ourselves safe. Especially when I was younger, I have passed a straight in order to protect myself from harm that might have come my way if I'd been recognized as gay. People of color encounter heavy pressure to adopt white cultural norms and behaviors, suppress their own culture in order to, for instance, succeed in the workplace. Likewise, women testify about accepting stereotypically masculine mores as the price for career advancement. In an article in Scientific American, Gay African-American physician Chase T.M. Anderson writes about the personas, the masks he wore to protect himself from racism and homophobia as he moved through medical school and into practicing medicine. Chase Anderson writes of fantasy Chase, the Chase with no armor who was open and trusting with everyone, This mask, he says, allowed him to hide his rage at a medical system and a country full of inequities to avoid being branded the stereotypical angry black male. Snow Chase, his coldly calculating persona, measured every interaction and drove him toward perfectionism so that he could believe his accomplishments were truly his own. Warrior Chase was the crusader who railed against racism and homophobia he witnessed directed at others to hide, he says, to hide his pain over when people in his past hadn't spoken up on his behalf. Shadow Chase was the mask that hid his deepest vulnerabilities, his depression, and the thoughts of suicide he had once had. He writes that by lashing out in intentionally hurtful ways at people who were enacting bigotry, Shadow Chase masked his deepest fear his fear that he deserved the racism and homophobia he encountered because he had dared reveal these aspects of himself. Well, he tells how finally, finally, after having done much self work, finally having shed these masks after he began practicing medicine in California, reclaiming his true self and his true heritage. So, sometimes our masks, the costumes we wear, may protect us. They may even be necessary for our personal safety. Sometimes, though, sometimes this potential adaptation Can instead work against us. As our reading from Brene Brown said earlier, our masks can become suffocating. They keep us from allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, to live into the many facets of our most authentic selves. And yet, vulnerability is where we find true connection and belonging. Our masks may fool us into feeling strong, but what they are really doing is keeping us from embracing our courage and living wholeheartedly. One of our spiritual values in this church is courage, which we define as to live lives of honesty, vulnerability, and beauty. As a young gay child growing up in the small town I talked about earlier, one of the personas I learned to wear to protect myself was to be the model child, make good grades, be the fastest swimmer on the swim team, be the perfect, well-behaved child at home, so maybe they would look past that I was gay. But the mask that at one time might have been adaptive could become perfectionism, and overfunctioning as an adult it could keep me from living into all of the many aspects of my truest self it can even today if i let it research has found that we don our mask for a variety of other reasons too in addition to hiding vulnerability some of those most common reasons are to hide fear anxiety and anger to be liked and accepted, to hide sadness and depression, to deceive and manipulate, to meet standards of masculinity or femininity. Researchers have also found some common mask we put on to do these things. See if you recognize any of these. The cool guy or gal, calm and collected on the outside, raging bottled up emotions on the inside. The overachiever, this one's pretty self-explanatory, of course you'll never find any of these in a Unitarian Universalist church. The martyr, sacrifices themselves to save the world while giving up their own desires in the process. The bully, uses domination to cover up their deep insecurities and gets elected to public office in some circles, apparently. (laughs) The control freak uses ardor and power to hide a fear of the unknown. The people pleaser seeks the approval of others to avoid revealing their true values and self. The terribly timid avoids relationship rather than face a fear of failure or rejection And finally, the social butterfly fills life with casual, shallow interactions to avoid true intimacy and hide self-doubt. So these are just some of the ways that we can hold ourselves back, maybe not all the time, but sometimes we fall into these. They hold us back by masking elements of our authentic selves. I want to say also, though, Sometimes, sometimes wearing our masks, adopting what may at first feel somewhat like a persona, can help us maintain appropriate boundaries or begin to reveal parts of ourselves that we haven't in the past. As a minister, there is a certain persona I must assume to establish appropriate boundaries and avoid the potential for doing harm. Most people have a persona that is appropriate for their professional environment, which is probably more restricted than at home with family or friends. The masks we wear around our children are probably very different than those we wear when we're at the pub. On Halloween, we dress up as witches, monsters, vampires, and the like, which can be a way of acknowledging our shadow side, which we try to avoid too often otherwise. Likewise, we dress up as superheroes to experience power, perhaps, that we too often deny that we possess. One of the most common costumes for straight men every year at Halloween is to dress up as a woman, which scientists, social scientists have found is at least sometimes a way to express a feminine side, which society still otherwise largely discourages. I'd like to close this section of the sermon by talking about Cher, Little Nas X, and Elton John. Because why not talk about Cher, Little Nas X, and Elton John in every sermon? Each of these, each of these became stars by adopting a persona on stage. Each of them say that around the house in everyday life, they're not the person they are when they put on the costumes to go on stage. And yet, yet they each say that larger than life persona lives within them somewhere, is a part of who they are. And letting that persona out has made each of them a superstar I'll bet each of us has a superstar that lives within us somewhere. And if wearing a costume or donning a mask, at least at first, is how we release that superstar into our world, well then, bless the costumes and masks, because they may set us free. A couple of years ago, I shared the work of Amy Cuddy, a social psychologist who studies body language. She has found that when we're feeling confident, we adopt a more open and expansive pose and body posture. She found that the reverse is also true, though. Adopting an expansive superhero pose can help us feel more confident. And she found that even when we face challenges, if we adopt this more open, expansive pose, both physically and psychologically, we can go beyond just faking it to make it. Essentially, we can try on what we hope to develop in ourselves and wear that costume or mask until we become it or until it becomes a part of us. She experienced this herself after she suffered brain damage from a car accident that, that impaired her cognitive processes. She had to fake it until she made it so that she could become the social science researcher she wanted to be at Harvard. It's worth sharing again Amy Cuddy talking about when she knew she had tried that on long enough to have become it.
3: The end of my first year at Harvard... Um, a student who had not talked in class the entire semester, who I had said, look, you've got to participate or else you're going to fail, came into my office. I really didn't know her at all. And she said, she came in totally defeated, and she said, I'm not supposed to be here. And that was the moment for me because two things happened. One was that I realized oh my gosh, I don't feel like that anymore. You know, I don't feel that anymore. But she does, and I get that feeling. And the second was, she is supposed to be here. Like, she can fake it. She can become it. So he's like, yes, you are. You are supposed to be here. And tomorrow you're going to fake it. You're going to make yourself powerful. And, you know, you're going (laughs) to... You're gonna go, go into the classroom and you are gonna give the best comment ever, you know? And she gave the best comment ever. And people turned around and they were like, oh my god, I didn't even notice her sitting there, you know? She comes back to me months later and I realized that she had not just faked it till she made it, she had actually faked it sh- till she became it. So she had changed. Um, and so I, I, I wanna to say to you don't fake it till you make it, fake it till you become it. You know, it's not do it enough until you actually become it and internalize.
0: So, we can sometimes engage in personal and spiritual development by trying on something new. Something to which we aspire and wearing it until we see what develops. And I think the interim ministry period this church is in right now is a perfect time for the church to try things on. We might try different ways of doing worship. Those of us who have cultural backgrounds that lead us to prefer quieter, more contemplative worship might try on joining in rather than resisting, trying to feel the spirit that others are feeling when worship sometimes gets more rambunctious. Likewise, those who prefer noisier, more kinetic worship might try on moving deeply into our more contemplative worship elements to explore the potential transcendence these moments may offer. If we truly want a multicultural, multi-generational congregation, we will need to wear elements of both. We might try on breaking down elements of white supremacy culture like perfectionism, urgency, worship of the written or spoken word, though I'm not going to stop talking right now. (laughs) Believing there is only one right way, either or thinking, fear of open conflict. Those of us who don't have children in our households could try on imagining if we did and what it might feel like to visit a church with a full-fledged family ministry that integrates us and our entire family into all aspects of church life. Our pastoral care and memorial services teams are reimagining how church participants can better support one another. Let us try on every person in the church feeling held and supported through life's joys and life's times of challenges and sorrow. Our social action team is just on fire these days. We are already on, well on our way toward becoming a leading voice in this, our state capital for the principles and values that we hold dear. We are trying on being the church that can bring a legion of justice for a rally for justice or the climate crisis at the state capitol or a chorus of voices to bear witness in public testimony or visits with legislatures. In coordination with our other local churches, we can try on leading those who share our values to cry out, oh, thank goodness, here comes that sea of Unitarian Universalists in their bright yellow Side with Love t-shirts and causing those who have been inflicting such harmful laws and practices on so many in our state to cry out, oh, no, here comes that sea of yellow t-shirts. Now, I have to say that this religious community is already doing really great work in all of these areas, from trying on new and different forms of worship to engaging in anti-racism, anti-oppression work to terrific religious education and fellowship for all ages to supporting one another to doing justice to build the beloved community. So rather than... Fake it until we make it. Perhaps, perhaps our opportunity right now is to try on making it even greater. During this interim period, let's take the opportunity to clothe ourselves in the superstar that burns brightly within this church and let it burst into its full and magnificent brilliance upon the stage of our community. And our world. Where do we come from? Well, we'll be exploring our history as a church in the days and weeks to come. Where are we going? We get to try that on together.
1: Please join with me in reciting the words we use to extinguish the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again.
0: As we move through the world, may we try on all the elements of ourselves that long for expression. As we move through our days, may we try on that which we dream of becoming. May we risk vulnerability. May the universal river of love flow through us. May the congregation say amen. 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 And blessed be. blessed be. Go in peace.
1: This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at UU dot O-R-G